Welcome to Project VetCast's 12th episode, and thanks for tuning in. To start this episode off, I'm going to be talking about the unhappy hormones. Now, guys, I know I sounded off my rocker when I talked about the happy hormones, and you guys should have seen Chris's face, the veteran I got to interview for this episode, when I brought them up. We both had a good laugh. But I think it's important to understand what our bodies go through every day, whether we incur it on ourselves or not. It's self-care. And if you guys remember from the last episode, that's a cause of dopamine, a happy hormone. Now, we can take the time to reflect or meditate, which is a cause of serotonin, another happiness hormone. Let me start that over. We can take the time to reflect on what causes us negative hormones and emotions and find ways to reduce their effects, leading us to be happier, healthier people. Anyways, for the interview portion, like I mentioned before, I got to interview Chris, an Army veteran. Chris started CP Roofing and Exteriors in Collin County, Texas. Not only has Chris started a reputable roofing and exteriors business, but he has a really unique perspective of the military that I've never even considered existed. I make the statement, I'm never surprised anymore, but only impressed. I was very impressed with how unique of a point of view Chris holds with the military. Now, towards the end, Instead of one career, I'm going to cover two careers in logistics, both the supply chain manager that I kind of covered last episode, but also another supply logistics career as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. So guys, let's let's talk for a second, because I may be way in over my head or just a little bit. I haven't figured it out yet, but. When I started this search, uh, when I started this thing on happy and unhappy hormones, I was listening to the book called Conversational Intelligence, and you know they go over oxytocin and uh, I think dopamine too, but they go over happy hormones and how to implement them in your life and create a happier, healthier you. So in my head, I was like, all right, I got to figure out what all these happy horm- happy hormones are so that I can tell you guys about it. You know, help you guys figure out beyond you know the morning process and what's healthy for you to recover from a loss of a loved one or whatever it is you're mourning about um if you're depressed and you know you really just want to be a happier person because who doesn't want to be happy what are the hormones and how do you get them to produce more often in your body how do you become a happier healthier person so a quick google search And you get about four to five happiness hormones. I have yet to figure out what the fifth one is, but most results have four. They're oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins. And while that seemed easy enough, I mean, you can even go to images.google.com and find a quad chart. And I read from the first quad chart I could find on how to introduce these uh, happiness hormones into your lifestyle. Um, Easy enough, right? What do you think I thought when I looked up sad hormones? Because, you know, the opposite of happy is sad. So there's got to be four sad hormones. And what do you think I uh, found when I looked up sad hormones? Well, for example, serotonin. Serotonin levels have also been implicated in seasonal affective disorder. Uh, Capital SAD, sad. Now, This is a study going over uh, happy or sad, the chemistry behind depression by Dolores Garcia Arosana, Arosana, excuse me. 
Um, forgive me if during this episode I murder anybody's names. Please correct me. I'm happy to change it, fix it, whatever I got to do. Uh, doctor or PhD Dolores Garcia Arosena, uh at the Jackson Laboratory or Jax.org says uh, what causes depression and they go over serotonin, for example, one of the happiness hormones. In patients, low brain serotonin activity correlates a higher risk for more violent, attempted, and successful suicides. So there you go. Low happiness hormone levels lead to being sad. But then I figure out it's not just that simple. You know, you obviously you would figure out high happiness hormone levels lead to a happier person. Lower happiness hormones levels lead to a, a sadder person. But then it goes over into uh, low testosterone can include emotional issues like mood swings, stress, depression, cortisol. So if you have increased stress in your body, that can lead to depression, anxiety, and a myriad of other symptoms. Uh, cortisol is a bad, one of the negative uh, hormones that I did find. Um, you know, there's low estrogen or uh, other, like low T in women is also a big thing. So clearly there are more things that lead to unhappiness than just low happy hormone levels. Um, so since I am not an expert, if there are any endocrinologists or brain scientists or anybody who specializes in hormone levels out there, especially if you're a veteran, cause I'm, I'm bigger on having veterans on the podcast since it's a mental health in the veteran community, uh, podcast. And, you know, I interview other veterans if you're a veteran, please reach out if you specialize in this, and I'm more than happy to have you on. If you're not a veteran, um, I'd be interested in talking to you and seeing what your experience is and you know, possibly even having you on the podcast because, again, way in over my head, I'm not a scientist. I did not get my degree in health or hormone science, whatever. Um, and yeah, I'd rather have somebody who's an expert than do the research myself. However... The Navy did not also make me a sailor that just says, well, I don't know, and moves on. So I guess on the negative side, you can say I'm weighing over my head. And on the positive side, you could say I have plenty of content content for my podcast for the next couple of episodes. Who knows how many episodes, but I'm not going to drag it out longer than I have to. So that being said, um, again, if you are somebody who specializes in hormones and how they affect the body, you can email me at ian at projectvetcast.com. I'd be happy to talk to you, figure some things out. And, uh, you know, if you know what you're talking about, how would I be the expert against that? But if you know what you're talking about, I'd like to have you on the show. Um, otherwise, I'm going to keep going and figuring this out. So without dragging this part out even further, let's get on to the interview with Chris. What is up, guys? I have with me here Chris from CP Roofing and Exteriors. Uh, he's got he's got quite an interesting story, just because uh, not only is he a post 9/11 vet, but he's also a pre 9/11 vet. So he's got experience from both what you know uh, you and I might refer to as the older days, uh, Desert Storm, that period, and he's also been in to what you know you and I would uh, expect 
current day military. So he's got different perspectives from uh, pretty much two different times in military, you know, uh, periods. So tell us about it. What he means by that is I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, say that. Yeah, like 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 he said, I was I was I actually I got in initially joined the army in '86, got out right after Desert Storm. Um, basically, wanted to raise my kids, didn't want to stay deployed. I was I was communications at that point, and wherever we were in the world, commo goes with it. So I knew that was going to be the way it was, and I wanted to be there to raise my children. So did so. Um, Wound up back in, in 07, my wife read an article in the paper that said they were basically led up to, hey, they're, they're taking old guys in the army now. There's two <laughs> wars going on and you can go back. And we did a lot of uh, contemplating conversations between us, conversations with the kids and everything else, because obviously they weren't, they were going into high school. So it was going to have them quite involved as well. And we made the choice to drop everything and went back in a second time around as a <laughs> private E2. <laughs> that's got to be fun. And that's the lowest they can knock you. <laughs> so the regulation says the lowest they can <laughs> knock you is PV2. So that's where I started. Cool part with that. Nobody pays attention to that private. <laughs> I was with a bunch of NCOs. So talk about a great learning experience and the ultimate fly on the wall scenario. When Nobody knows you're there. Nobody cares you're there. It's your opportunity to sit and learn. There you go. Um, so since you were in uh, two different times, did you do the same thing or did you did, do different things? Uh, the first time I was in, I was in the communications side of the house. And we were kind of all encompassing as far as communications equipment, everything that would be the little tiny, uh, they refer to it as a rat rig, Uh on ground on the ground communication with the frontline troops basically is what that provides okay um all the way up to the tactical satellite communication with at that point was brand new system um i spent most of my time in operating uh tropa which is the tropospheric communication you can place it a certain distance apart bounce the signal off of the troposphere and bounce it to the other antenna and that's how you communicate so that's where i spent most of my time the first time um Second time I was going to go back into communications, but the only thing they offered me was uh, cable dog. And at 40, cable dog did not sound like a great plan to me <laughs> digging trenches. So um, I wound up going back in as air defense. So we were Patriot operators. Gotcha. Um, which one would you say you enjoyed the most? Um. Job wise, not a huge. I, I mean, I enjoyed both for different reasons. Both um, very technical in, in nature. Um, so you know, in that perspective, the jobs to me were very, very similar. Um, I would say the second time around was far more enjoyable to me, just because of my mindset. Um, I wasn't really geared the way I needed to be geared in my twenties, and it was interesting going back, having that five years of experience for one and the other one being 40 plus years old uh it just gives you a, it gives you a different perspective i had a whole lot more fun the second time around <laughs> i is uh, like i said that that learning experience was invaluable um 
I'd been in the civilian world, so I knew what it meant to survive. I knew what it meant to work. And it's real easy to shine when all you've got to do is show up and do your job. And everybody else is trying to avoid doing so, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, I had, I, I definitely enjoyed the second time around much more fun, much more. It was, didn't have anything to do with the job, but. No, you said you're from uh, your, what I'll call a military family is in your, uh, your, your kids joined as well, right? Um, yeah, we are definitely a military family. My grandfather was part of the army air Corps. He was a navigator oh, wow. on a bomber. Um, my father was Navy <laughs> and I was army obviously, um, <laughs> as were all three of my boys. My oldest son actually went in before I went back in. So he oh, was wow. actually, okay. he was actually serving while I was, when I was first going back in and then the boys graduated in Okinawa, Japan, and sent themselves both to college, one to Colorado, one to Texas. They, I, I told them, you just let me know where I got to get you. You do your thing, go where you want to go, and we'll help you get there. So they went off to college, and they both went. They initially both started in the ROTC program, um, ended up um, National Guard, and both flipped over to the reserves. So both oh, wow. twins were one NCO and one officer. So, oh, wow. Yeah, you see them together. They are identical twins. So it really confuses people. <laughs> I'm sure you could, uh, could only imagine having one walk out of room and then the other oh, walk back. Oh, it, yeah, it, it's definitely happened. Oh, wow. But, yeah, they, I, I think they take, they, they, they took as much pleasure in that, I think, as they did playing tricks on the teachers in high school. So, <laughs> um, man. So, being in pre 9-11 and post 9-11, are you able to take advantage of the same benefits that I would be able to take advantage of today? Uh, you mean in relationship to getting out the first time versus getting out the second time? Well, yeah. So like you have, I don't know, in my head, it would, you're, you're in such a unique, uh, for me, I don't know anybody that, that served before 9-11 and then came back in 15 years later. I'm sure there's more people that I'm aware of, but probably were you Not able to uh or like were you able to take care of the gi bill um yes the initial time i was in i was obviously pre-911 gi bill the old gi okay. bill um like i said i i wasn't in the right mindset uh, for much of anything at that point um i took a few college courses when i was in did mm -hmm. not take advantage of the gi bill the first time around and it's only good for a certain amount of time after you're out yeah i burned it wasted it gotcha. um the second time I was eligible for the post 9-11 GI Bill, having gone back in and served when I served, um, I I used part of the GI Bill while I was in to back me up for what I was doing because I was taking a lot of courses when I was in. But I had already done what I wanted to do uh, education-wise yeah. while I was on active duty. So I didn't, I didn't continue to use anything with the GI Bill after I was out because gotcha. I, I, I'd done what I wanted to do. I mean, honestly, I, I, I got my degree because I spent my kids' entire lives telling them I would support them on whatever path they took, chose to, to take in life as long as that path traveled through college. That's and yeah. when the twins both got into college and were being very successful doing so, I realized I was looking a hypocrite in the mirror every day because I didn't do it. So I signed up and picked a general studies 
degree just because I felt like I needed to do that to be able to look myself in the eyes and found out I actually kind of enjoyed it. So I went back and finished my bachelor's degree as well on acting. It's a little different going to college after the military. You know, I know when I was going to school, I was like, yeah, screw college. But then I go to school after I've been in the military. I'm like, why did I avoid this? Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now I I did understand. I didn't I didn't get to do the whole going to the college thing because I did it on active duty. So oh, yeah, all no, of mine was, here. mine was done online. Um, yeah. Just that way I could do it from wherever I was, which was good. Absolutely. Cause I, I did part of it in Okinawa and part of it at Fort Sill. But I, I, I hear the stories about people actually going to college after they get out and being those, those veterans that are actually in college. I can picture that being a very interesting experience, <laughs> but I didn't get to do it. There's some no, great yeah. stories to come out of it, but the, um, the transitioning from military to veteran, both the first time and second time, how do those experiences compare? Would you say? <laughs> um, polar opposite experiences. Um, first time they were basically trying to reduce the force, um, stood out in front of the formation. When we came back from desert storm, our equipment wasn't even back. Um, said, Hey, if you've been in for more than three years, you can be out in 30 days. Well, like I said, I wanted to raise my kids. I'm like, all right, sounds good to me. <laughs> um, their answer at that point was basically a boot in the taint and tail end and good luck. I mean, there was really, I, now granted, it's a long time ago, but to me, <laughs> I, I felt like we got nothing um, with regards to the, you know, the VA disability type thing. It wasn't like it is now where they have to have everything organized and, and done prior to you getting out they did it all after the fact so you did your paperwork on your way out and sent it off to the va and they did what they did with it so very very different um the second time around with you know speakers coming in and courses to educate you on the on the job market and the differences and how to how to transition, how to not be military and how to be a civilian is a, is a big thing. You don't realize it, but I mean, you really don't realize how, yeah. how different that, those worlds are until you experience it. Now, granted, I'd already yeah. done it, so I had a pretty good idea, but I can picture somebody who has been doing this for their entire adult lifetime, having never been a civilian and then going and braving that, 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 that stuff that they're teaching you that, you know, I probably took for granted having experienced it before. Obviously, I don't because I'm sitting here ranting and raving about how good it was. But, <laughs> you know, they're teaching you how to do a resume and about the job market and about not using our lingo. <laughs> yeah. Not everything's not an acronym in the real world. Um, yeah, it was that was that was huge for me. And, you know, the fact that everything was already done with both the Army and the VA prior to even being allowed to leave was huge. So really? I wouldn't even I wouldn't even compare the two transitions because one was good luck and the other one was hey let's get you ready and teach you how to do it. Did you try and use the VA hospital after the first time you got out? I did. I How'd did. That go? Um, <laughs> uh, horrible. Used to uh, at that point. Now I don't know whether it was just that VA hospital, but um, we did try to. I had. I had pretty severely injured my knee. I mean, I was on permanent profile when I got out because I had destroyed my knee at French commando school. And um, so we were trying to go back in to, to get care for the knee, but you would go into the VA, set an appointment, 
and usually that point was somewhere between six and eight months from the day that you set it. Wow. And you would show up for your appointment that day. You had to be there, you know, first thing in the morning, bright and early. Um, your appointment said 8 a.m. or whatever. And you'd find you were still sitting there at 4.30, 5 p.m. when everybody was shutting down. And had it more than one time where the doctor just couldn't see you that day. They were too busy or something was going on or there was an emergency or something. So you've been sitting there your, the entire day and never saw a doctor and you set another appointment for, oh, six, eight months from now. That so I gave up. I'm sure there was a lot of people at that point that really did truly give up on the VA hospital. If that's the way it was across the board, but that was my experience. I mean, for me, for somebody as, as somebody who has read the horrors of the VA today, in my perspective, that definitely puts today's VA in a better light than what I'm used to hearing. I mean, even like, I'm sure if that happened right now, like there'd be all kinds of outrage more so than there is now about how oh, the VA system is. Uh, yeah. But I mean, the, the, the difference now is, I mean, you know, everything is very, everything was very centralized. I mean, you, mm. you didn't have all of the social media and everything else. So things didn't spread like Technology they spread now. I mean, easier. if you, if you have a bad experience at the VA now, all of a sudden the entire world knows if you choose to let the world know, you can do so. Yeah. Um, we kind of felt like we were out there on our own at that point. And I just, I, I didn't know what to do or how to fix it. So I gave up, uh, you know, the, the horror stories from the VA today. I mean, you know, Hey, I still get stressed out when I've got to call the VA. I, yeah. I, I, I don't like it. I mean, I, I get a certain amount of anxiety picking yeah. up the phone, calling the VA because I know it's not going to be fun. Um, so I, you know, you still have some of it, but in comparison to how it used to be and Honestly, the conversation with you makes me look at it differently because I hadn't really? contemplated, you know, I, 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 you know, I know my experiences now, but I wasn't weighing them up against what they were. So it, it puts it in a different light, even for me. Huh? Um, what, so you got out the first time, was it hard to find a, a job or what were you, what did you do between the, the first and the second uh, time you got in? Um, well, I got out in Arizona and I definitely struggled there. Um, now part of that was the fact that we had brand new young twins. So That'll life was really different and <laughs> Debbie and I wanted to be there for the kids. So I was actually working graveyards at that point while she worked during the day. So we could both be there. Yeah. Um, no, I really didn't have a real job until I, well, I mean, I was, I, I had my real estate license, but I wasn't doing much. Um, okay. And then when I moved to Colorado, I was working on getting my real estate license there as well. I mean, I was studying for it and everything and um, meandered into a dealership that was right down the street from me. It was a Toyota dealership and it was walking distance from my house <laughs> and Deb and I only had one car. I'm like, Hey, this is kind of cool. So I went down and visited him and, I mean, I won awards in real estate with as little as I was doing. And, you know, hey, I thought I was doing great things and showed up at the dealership and met with the manager. And he uh, said, hey, so, you know, how'd you do in real estate? What were you doing? And I kind of ran and, you know, hey, bragging myself. You know, this is my opportunity. This is what I've done. He said, great. What'd you make doing that? Told him. And he looked across the desk at me and said, well, if you make that here, you're going to get fired. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay, let's give this a shot. 
And <laughs> I gave it a shot and did it for 15 years. Wow. I just, it, I mean, it really was a total accident. They were advertising in the paper, happened to be down the block, meandered in, and I found out I was really good at it. So. So you went from signals the first time in the army to <laughs> real estate slash car sales out of the military, went into Correct. the military and became a uh, Patriot defense uh, missile operator. And then, and correct me if that title's wrong, because sometimes no, I get a, that. Now that, that, that you're going to, we're, you know, you and I both know we're going to get those wrong. And I probably can't say it how they advertise it because, you know, they can make any job sound unbelievable. <laughs> and usually you get there and go, really? Uh, that's not what the video said. But no. Yeah. yeah right. Um, it's easy. So you so. went air defense the second time and now you're, roofing or roofing and exteriors how, how did you transition into roofing from that well my last four years in the army i was like i said we i went in as patriot operator and mm -hmm. when i moved from okinawa I, I we had gone from fort sill to okinawa japan and luckily i felt like i'd I, I mean, I literally had to ask myself who I upset that they were sending me back to Fort Sill. I'm not a Fort Sill fan. I like like Fort Sill. Don't get me wrong. Fort Sill's cool. Lawton is horrible. So I wasn't thrilled. Yeah. And it was it was actually really strange because we had actually volunteered to go recruiting. And so I had been accepted as a recruiter, but I also had orders from Fort Sill. And I I was literally on leave. <laughs> trying to figure out where I was going to report to. So I started picking up the phone and making phone calls and everything else and found out that my orders at Fort Sill trumped my recruiting duty. So reported to Fort Sill, assumed I was going back to a line unit and they sent me to the headquarters building and went into G3 and wound up being their um, anti-terrorism slash emergency management specialist. Okay. So... When I transitioned out, I would I would I leapfrogged off of that rather than Patriot, which doesn't have a whole lot of applicability other than still working with the civilian side of the military. Um, okay. So I went and did emergency management at a bank, which was kind of an interesting one because, like I said, it's really cool how they transition you out and they have to have everything squared away before you leave. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is they don't tell you that they don't know when you're getting out. Until you're oh. well into the process, and they come to you and go, "Oh yeah, yeah, then, you know, we have to have all this done, and we'll notify you, and it'll be somewhere between six months and two years from now, yeah, that you'll be out." And I'm scratching my head. I'm going, "Okay, well, I probably need a job, and got, I own a home here, so what am I? Gonna, how do I plan that?" <laughs> and not only that, but they tell you you have like ten days to clear post when that notice comes. So yeah. you're going. I, yeah, the whole medboard experience is interesting. Yeah, it, it was it was it was it was definitely different. But um, I started sending in applications. I didn't have any idea how that would work because I, you know, I, how how do I tell an employer? Yeah, I have no idea when I can come to work, but I want a job. Um, but that's really how I was presenting it, and um, wound up with a bank here in Dallas that decided they wanted me, and they would wait, even though I had no idea what wait meant. Yeah. But, they did wait, um, ended up waiting like six months and came down here and went to work at the bank and basically doing civilian equivalent of what I was doing on the emergency management side of the military. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, I wasn't real suited to a cubicle anymore. So it just, I, I didn't know that, but I got there and, you know, they're paying me a bunch yeah. of money to do, I don't know what, but that would, that didn't work for me. I, I, I have to be doing something that means something. Yeah, of and, course. Um, we actually, I have a good friend of mine that I worked with in the car business for years and he actually quit the car business and went and opened a roofing company in Denver, Colorado. And he was actually trying to get Debbie and I to come back to Colorado to run his company for him so he could retire. But we wanted to come back to nice. Texas. Yeah, cool. it would be, it would, yeah, it would be cool. But <laughs> um, we wanted to come back to Texas. So yeah. we made the choice to come back here. He was disappointed, obviously. But um, we watched the antics that occurred after our first storm season here. And it was amazing to watch. I mean, it was all over the news with, uh, you know, whole blocks of people going to the to the news folks and saying, Hey, you know, these, these roofing companies ripped off all our money that we got off our insurance company and rolled out of town and we don't know who they are. And I, it was just, it was rampant on the news. I was like, well, this is insane and well, we can do it better. Isn't there a, a licensing system to get, you know, licensed as a roofer? Not in Texas. Oh, there is no Texas state license for roofing contractors. Um, I'm one of the companies that, that pushes for it. Yeah. Um, but the, and it's purely, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a protective measure for clients. I mean, if people Absolutely. have to be registered and licensed with the state, you know who they are. Um, but no, we have, we have storm chasers that come here from all over the country. If we have a storm, they'll just, they'll, they'll show up, do their thing. And you know, if they don't go get a permit, nobody's even going to ask them if they're insured, let alone anything else. Uh, so if you don't get caught, a lot of them are, will even operate under that umbrella and they just roll out to wherever they came from and they might come back next year under a different name. So yeah, there's no, there's nothing there for that. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it's, it, it, it's an ugly situation and it creates a very weird environment for the clients and that's what we were trying to fix. Yeah. Now they do have the roofing contractors association of Texas here, uh, RCAT. And they do a licensing system, which is, since you don't have a state license, that's as good as you get. But you have to be in business for a certain amount of years and take a bunch of tests and all of that good stuff. Well, we just completed that. So we are as good as you can get in the state of Texas with licensing. We're that's there. awesome. So yeah, it's just one of those things that makes, you know, it, it, it's just one more thing that you've done that tells people that you're different. Yeah. That's, no, that's what we're trying to be. Like it looks like you identified a problem and since starting the business, haven't really strayed from fixing that problem more of like you, you've created a credible business that can at roof and uh, can fix the roof. That's words. Uh, you can, you know, go and fix people's houses and you guys are accredited or you guys yeah. have the licensing and. Well, I, the, the big thing and the difference with us, as far as I'm concerned is one, we always follow manufacturer specification, which is different because unfortunately in roofing, there's a whole lot of places to cut corners. And <laughs> that's just reality. So we stick with the manufacturer specified roofing system is one part of what makes us different. The other side of it is, I mean, we care. So, I mean, that's, we got in this because we wanted to help people and yeah, that's what we do every day. So what, uh, 
I don't think we quite got into the the CP roofing part of it before this, but what all areas do you uh, do you guys cover? Uh, we actually cover everything from Greenville, which is just east of us, all the way to Fort Worth. So basically, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex we cover. Now we do a lot of work with insurance agents and realtors, so there's some that call in favors that we wind up a little bit out of our area. But yeah. hey, you get to call in a favor when we do as much business as we do together. So, but that's our that's our primary thing. We're we're only in DFW. Um, I got all the travel out of my system. We get calls all the time asking us to you know come do storm restoration if they get a hurricane or whatever. I I, I have no desire to travel. I like sleeping in my own bed. So yeah. we stay here. We don't go anywhere. Did um, getting into roofing in Texas and having somebody or was it much different from the business model your buddy used in Colorado or was it very similar? Um, very, actually very similar. He has a very reputable company, runs a great business, has a phenomenal reputation. And he really did step in as our mentor. And okay. he really did a great job of, I, I would say he removed eight years worth of obstacles. Cause I mean, you're going, you're going to learn certain lessons the hard way. Yeah. He alleviated a lot of those lessons that I had to learn the hard way because I mean, you know, he, it just a matter of, he got to learn them the hard way. So he said, Hey, this is the mistakes I made. This is how you avoid them. And man, paperwork wise, experience wise. Um, I just, if I, I can't begin to describe how much he's done for us. And we still talk all the time. So he's, he's, awesome. he's, he's still there for us. It's just, I'm a little more on his level more talking now. But, <laughs> but, oh, eight yeah. years is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've only been doing it six. He had, he had, he had been in business when we started our business. He had been in business for eight years. Oh yeah. No, just the, 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 uh, I'm personally thinking of all the lessons I have learned in eight years oh, and, please. Yeah. and thinking about somebody just accelerating that for me. And it's almost right. like wishing I could go back in time and then make the different decisions. Uh, yeah. But let's be honest. Would you have listened when you were I young? Hope so I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I, I definitely insisted on learning most things the, the hard, hard way. way. I guess yep. that's part of what I, I, I guess that's the advantage to being older. I've, I've learned to let, learn from other people's mistakes at this point rather than, yep. Hey, no, I know that happened to you, but let me go give it a shot. Oh yeah. It happened to me too. I think so. I would have looked at me like I was crazy and said, yeah, I don't know how you're doing this, but that this is all a joke. So, you know, anyways. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we, I mean, you know, I don't know. This, this is, this has been a lot of fun. I, I told you when we were, when we were talking beforehand, I, I we've never done things traditionally. we, we have <laughs> we've made choices that have shocked our friends and family numerous times and we've lived our lives the way we want to live our lives traditionals and i mean kind of boring if somebody tells you is. all right here's how we do it we knocked on the fence all right guys let's go do it this way yeah but you should see the look you get on people's faces when you say you're quitting your job and you're going back in the army at 40. <laughs> yeah oh that no breaks. i uh <laughs> so when you mentioned that, it made me think about an instance I had where um, I know somebody who I didn't realize was uh, a mother, but going back and like, oh, yeah, I know this person. Okay, cool. How are they doing? And then I saw their their son and they're both uh, junior enlisted. And I was like, oh, okay. wow, that's different. You know, I, you know I, I can probably imagine how your friends were like, uh, okay, you know, you, you good for you. Um, but at least you enjoyed it, though. 
Oh, I yeah, I had a ball. It's it's funny that you say that about the mother and son, though. I mean, that's more or less what led us back down that path. Was my wife was actually reading an article about a young Marine and his mom had taken him to the to the to the recruiter's office to enlist, and she wound up enlisting herself. And yeah, that, that's how we realized, hey, they're taking really really old people now, and you don't have to be twenty seven; you can be thirty nine, forty. That Marine, did they get spot promoted? The one that recruited both the mother and the son? I have no idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I don't know. That I would have to look at them and look at the report and be like, is this is this I, right? Yeah. You, you did what? Yeah, that is that is that is very impressive. And I think your average recruiter would go, hey, I get that, that <laughs> more power to you. You did good things. So but you guys uh do you enjoy doing what you do with the roofing oh, company? And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world we have we have we work really hard don't get me wrong but of course this we we also believe in having a whole lot of fun so that's if that that's kind of the perfect world for me if we come in every day and our our mission is to go help people and we have a good time doing it mm-hmm. I, I i i can't think of much better so works really well for me um and then i think from what i read your family operated too we are my wife is the general manager she has 30 some odd years in the financial industry. And when I started the company, it was just me. So for the first year and a half, it was just me doing everything. And I'd say everything wasn't everything because she would come home after working her real job and help me with the books and the things that I'm not good at, which is basically anything that revolves around numbers um, (laughs) or spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, So she was handling that stuff in her spare time. And she actually quit her job and came on board in 2017 and she's the, she's the general manager here and she does all of the basically we're in we're in the field everything else she does so she manages our calendars and all the money and everything else which basically means i own the company but i work for her so <laughs> it's just the way it works oh. um and then my son is he actually did I keep doing that to my chair my apologies <laughs> um he started with the company as what we call a QC, uh, quality control person. So he would go out to the jobs and work with the crews and keep it out, just basically making sure that everything was going the way we wanted it to go. Yeah. So that's what he did for quite a while. And then he came over to sales to learn that side of it and was a salesperson for quite a while and really, really good at it. But he has that NCO mentality. So he's got that leader, <laughs> that leadership thing in his brain. And although he had fun being sales, he really liked the idea. And so now he's, he's actually kicked off this year as the, as the sales manager. So oh, wow, he'll be recruiting his sales team and all, well, he's already doing it, but yeah. So company's growing and changing. We were, we had reached a point where it was everything that the three of us could do and you either stay there or you move forward and the only way to move forward was to basically change everything from the ground up and that's what we decided to do i mean the the need is the need is there and what i found out is you can have that whole mentality that you want to stay small which is how i envisioned this was staying small yeah and i still want to stay small to an to, to an extent don't get me wrong because i like that yeah. but we we had to grow and if you if you do things right it kind of does its own thing and you realize you're not really in control and <laughs> you just have to figure out how to live up to what you've created. So that's what we're doing. That uh, sounds like it takes a lot of responsibility. It's, 
great. It's 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 a lot of fun. I am you know had I'm trying to be a responsible adult at this point in my <laughs> life. But well, cool. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, with the interview, um, that really is a unique perspective as far as uh, the pre and post experience. Just because I don't know me myself, I'm used to hearing, oh well, you know, back in the old day, or like. <laughs> I kid you not, like my dad, he told me before I went to boot camp, he's like, all right, you know, Ian, when you go to boot camp, don't go to any bars. And I was like, all right, whatever, dad. And then I get to boot camp and they're like, all right, holiday routine, six hours on Sunday, go to church or, you know, take care of your crap. And you're like, okay. So you're like, never left the compartment. So even just that experience, I was like, what was dad telling me about going to bars? I can't even do that. I, 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 even... yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't even get talk... to use the phone or go anywhere or anything else. So, you know, talking to somebody who experienced both times, uh, I mean, that gave me a different perspective. And it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah, the new versus old army is, 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 is very different, but I mean, the reality of it is every branch of the army is, or every branch of the military is just a, I mean, we're all we are is an offshoot of society and society yeah. has changed in a whole lot of ways. So I, I suppose the military has changed with society over time. Yeah. Some good, some bad. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Um, and in case anybody is in, uh, your part of Texas, be sure you check out CP roofing and exteriors. Sounds like they got great leadership. Sounds like they got a great team going on. And, uh, what more can you ask from a, uh, a veteran, a pre and post nine 11 veteran, <laughs> an old guy. There we go. Oh, well, again, I didn't say that, but you know, I know, I know, but I, yeah, but I can, Hey, I, you know, I mean, I, you, you already know the deal when you're as old as I was, when you went back in your grandpa. So I faced that reality <laughs> a long, long time ago. No big deal. Cool. But I appreciate you having me on. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. So yes, sir. Chris, before I get into the career portion of this episode, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your day, out of your schedule to uh, do the interview with me, but also to, to thank your family for y'all's service to our country. Uh, it's a pretty big deal to sit there and say, I'm a third or fourth generation service member. In your case, it's an even bigger deal to say, I joined the military. I enjoyed what I did, but I got out to take care of my family. Once my family was taken care of, I got right back in to do what I love doing. So a big thank you for all your service, uh, both pre and post 9-11. And um, I wish CP Roofing and Exteriors the best and uh, hope you stay in business for a long time. So for the career portion of this episode, I'm going to be touching up on, uh, I said two careers. What I'll do is I'm going to cover up on Supply Chain Manager but I'm also going to cover some of the careers leading up to supply chain manager as well. Now, if you look at when you Google supply chain manager, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics comes up. But the job that is covered under that is logistician. So for the summary, the 2020 in median pay is $76,270 per year or $36.67 per hour. A typical entry-level education is a bachelor's degree. Uh, there's no work experience and related occupation necessarily required. There's no on-the-job training or OJT necessarily required. Number of jobs, 2020, were 191,000. The job outlook for 2020 to 2030 is 30%, which is considered much faster than average. 
employment change 2020 to 2030 is considered to be 56,400. So with that being said, and the quick facts out of the way, um, we're going to go over a degree in supply chain management. So when I looked up degree in supply chain management, the first link I got was Texas A&M University Mays Business School. Please do your research and figure out which university is the best for you for supply chain management if this is a career you're interested in because there may be a better university than Texas A&M. They just had the best search engine optimization at the time. So Texas A&M, Department of Information and Operations Management. What is supply chain management? Supply chain management, or SEM, includes all the activities that must take place to get the right product into the right consumer's hands in the right quantity at the right time. By that definition, and it also includes from raw materials extraction to consumer purchase. By that definition, especially for the uh, customer purchase, consumer purchase, sounds like a lot of companies got an issue, but I'm not going to touch on that. Um, SEM focuses on planning and forecasting, purchasing, product assembly, moving storage, distribution, sales, and customer service. That was fast. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, SEM professionals are involved in every facet of the business process as they strive to achieve a sustainable competitive advantage by building and delivering products better, faster, and cheaper. Almost sounds like a bad Kanye West song, but <laughs> I'll stop with the jokes eventually. Um, supply chain manager is or supply chain management is necessary. Um, supply chain management professionals play a role in all kinds of organizations like manufacturers, retailers, transportation companies, third-party logistics firms, government agencies, and service firms. Firms from around the world and all sectors of the economy recruit SCM graduates. Um, let's see. Job prospects and supply chain management. Because an organization's supply chain can be quite complex, there are a lot of jobs you can do with supply chain management degree. So we'll look at some of those jobs. And per rasmussen.edu or Rasmussen University, um, the nine supply chain management jobs for degree holders are purchasing agent, median salary $64,380, um, operations manager, ops manager, median salary $100,780, Logistics analyst, median salary, 74750 Purchasing manager, median salary, $121,110. Supply chain manager, median salary, $110,630. Logistician, as also listed by the uh, BLS, median salary, $74,750. Let's see what the BLS said. $76,270. So... A little bit different listing there, but logistics manager, median salary, $94,560. Production planning and expediting clerk, median salary, $48,260. Storage and distribution manager, as number nine, median annual salary is $94,560. Now, as I said, um, if you want to find out the exact you know, description of what each job does. Simply Google, what can you do with a supply chain management degree? Question mark, nine careers to consider. And look for the Rasmussen University link. And it'll go further into the description of what each job does. Um, the career path, however, 
if you look at noodle.com forward slash articles forward slash supply dash chain dash manager dash careers dash skills dash required. I know that's a lot. Um, do with it what you will. It goes over career path for supply chain managers. Um, it goes over different business programs. It goes over um, what is a supply chain manager, jobs leading to supply chain manager. Let's go look for that one. So your first job in supply chain management may offer a title like logistics analyst, procurement specialist, transportation dispatcher, and warehouse manager. Reading the warehouse manager, uh, in a previous episode, I talked about how one was smart, was uh, invested enough in a cryptocurrency that when it became bigger, no, sorry, excuse me, a warehouse manager invested uh, like four to $8,000 in Shiba before it blew up and he made himself a millionaire. So he got out of supply chain uh, management. But from the sounds of it, he would have had a pretty promising career. Um, you could uh, find yourself in one of the following roles, supply chain analyst, supply chain specialist, purchasing manager, purchase, planning manager, and strategic sourcing manager. All that to say, supply has a huge deal in business as much as um, business management you know, has with business. Supply is huge. Without supply in a business, there is no business. So there will always be jobs in supply. If you're a... Ooh, let me take a breath. If you're a logistics specialist in LS, or if you are a logistics MOS in the military, you could have the rest of your career set in front of you. Um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, you know, I don't know any really unhappy suppos, and it's really hard to become a supply officer in the Navy, and I'm sure in other branches as well. So if you want a career in supply, um, First, I'd recommend getting a degree in it, but also like, you know, maybe start out enlisting it first. But that being said, that is a career portion and uh, that's it. So guys, that is it for the 12th episode. Uh, if you guys ever need to talk or you have any questions at all, please feel free to email me at ian at projectvetcast.com. I'm happy to listen, bounce ideas back and forth or help you guys just figure things out. I'm a veteran, and if you're a veteran too, I'm your brother.